We've been in John chapter 10, and we're going to move forward to John chapter number 11 today. If you have your Bibles, you could turn to John chapter number 11. Again, if you did not bring a Bible with you today, there should be a pew Bible somewhere at a seat close to you. We want to welcome you to use one of those Bibles today. In John chapter number 11, we read of a well-known passage in the Bible of a situation where the Lord Jesus raised a man named Lazarus from the dead. John chapter number 11, we'll begin our reading in verse number 1. We won't take time to read the whole chapter or go through each of the storylines, but the first few verses of John chapter number 11 brings you into contact with a familial type relationship that Christ had with this family. Beginning in verse 1 of John chapter number 11. Now a certain man was sick, named Lazarus, of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sisters sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. When he heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, Let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of, his, of, of this world. But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepest, but I go, that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought he had spoken of taking of rest and sleep. Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. If you flip your Bible over to verse number 33, Jesus comes into town some four days later where Lazarus has already been laid in a grave. This time we've already learned from his sister that his body had begun the process of, be- of decay. He had begun to stink because his flesh was Uh, going back from whence it came. In verse 33, the Bible says, When therefore Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled, and said, Where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. The scripture then says in verse 35, Jesus wept. We're going to be taking our subject from verse 35 today, considering the many ramifications of Christ and His weeping. The shortest verse in the Bible, but it has much to say about who Jesus was. Jesus wept. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, touch this service, Lord, we pray. Help me as I preach, and help those who are listening today, Lord. I pray that you'd speak to hearts, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If we come back to the very point in Scripture where we started in John 11, when we're introduced to this family, the Bible says in verse number 3, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. 
Again, in verse number 5, the Scripture declares, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. There are certain things that we might be able to ascertain from the Scripture. First of all, verse number 1, The man who was sick was named Lazarus, and Jesus loved him. People who Jesus loves get sick. People undergo and will have in this life sicknesses. Just because you know Jesus will not absolve you of the fact that you will at one point in time undergo an ailment or a sickness. In fact, coming soon to a a body near you, a sickness that's even unto death. All of us will die. The Bible says that death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Because we are sinners... This body will not live forever. God does not design it to live forever. Man has been ever searching for the fountain of youth. Man has ever been searching for things that will help them live longer. Whether you were a marathon runner and you take vitamins every day and don't eat sugar like myself anymore, you will not live forever. Now there are people and like myself, and I'll admit this and I'll acknowledge this, that I did abuse my body with food for a long period of time. Unless the spirit flies from the building, I won't stay there very long. But, you know, when I was under stress, I ran to food. I still am tempted to do this. Food is a stress reliever for many people. And they use food in an inappropriate fashion. You know, God wants, to, God wants us to eat, and by the way, He wants us to eat well. Today, coming soon to a town called Lakeside, Texas, Pastor Bujak will go home and eat of my wife's home cooking again on a Sunday afternoon. It's been some months since I have experienced this. My wife is like the Proverbs 31 woman. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. And I thank the Lord for her and the food that she prepares. Just this morning, and I'm sorry to preach about food, I didn't have breakfast this morning, I had a shake. My wife was cooking something that smelled so good my stomach began to grumble before I even came in for prayer meeting. In any event, why did I preach on that? For absolutely no reason other than that I'm hungry. (laughs) Now when I get tired and hungry, I might get emotional when I preach. So you have that going for you. I did get a good night's sleep last night. But the scripture says here that Christ loved Mary and Martha and he loved Lazarus. So Jesus wasn't there when Lazarus got sick. In fact, when he was told that Lazarus was sick, he delayed his coming. When he finally got to town, both the sisters said the same thing. Lord, if you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. They wanted Christ to come, but Christ delayed his coming so that he could show that he had power over death, and Christ did have power over death. But this great storm was stirring in the mind of Christ. If you look here in John chapter number 11, and we're considering the humanity of Jesus Christ today, Jesus Christ was every bit man as He was God. As the Son of Mary, He was called the Son of Man. He was born of a virgin. He had no earthly father. If anyone ever tells you that Jesus had an earthly father and that that earthly father contributed to his birth, they're lying to you. Jesus Christ had no earthly father. He was born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7 said, Behold, 
He said that there was a virgin that would bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Several Old Testament prophecies about Christ being born of a virgin uh, were, were mentioned, and the, the Bible deniers of the day are still after Jesus. They don't want to accept that Jesus was, in fact, born of a virgin, but he was. Jesus was, in fact, God, according to John chapter number 1, which says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. As God, Jesus had power over death. And in this passage of Scripture, you find him calling Lazarus out of the tomb. We'll try not to get ahead of ourselves. But Jesus, the Bible says in verse number 33, it says, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, the Bible says that he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. Jesus had a troubled spirit. His spirit was, was turbid. It was, like, uh, it was like water in the midst of a storm. Have you ever had your heart and in your spirit, there was something in your spirit that had you very troubled? Personally, I've heard very dogmatic sermons preached where a preacher surmised that the weeping of Jesus, in verse 35, was only due to the unbelief of the Jews. I think there's a whole lot more to verse number 35 than just that. I think the meaning has much more significance and that it is a greater... A great, uh, there, the, the meaning encompasses much more than Jesus just being... Uh, grieved over the unbelief of the Jews. Jesus is standing face to face with the last enemy that will ever be destroyed. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that the last enemy is death. He saw what death and sin had done in destroying the life of someone who he cared for and he loved. Death was the corrupting of the fair handiwork of God and the human body. And he knew that Satan had one day came and accosted a lady named Eve. He split up the man and the woman. He deceived the woman. The Bible says very clearly that Adam wasn't deceived when he partook of the fruit. But Eve was deceived. Eve was appealed to by Satan. He promised her good things. He said, good things will happen to you if you disobey God. Nothing could have been further from the truth. She disobeyed God. She bore children. And there was a murder in the first family. Their first two sons, Cain, killed Abel because Abel was more righteous than he. See, the devil never promised Eve that. The devil never promised her the thorns and the thistles and the pain and childbearing and, and all the other things that came with the fall. The devil just said, hey, God's protecting you from something that's good and the devil is a liar. Jesus is now at a graveyard. He's where people are laid to rest after they die. And the Bible speaks of Christ weeping. Many times as we read the Bible and as I read the Bible, I hope you understand that when the Bible was originally penned, it had no chapters and verses. It was just written as a large book. The chapters and verses were given later so that people could study the Bible adequately. For instance, in John chapter, we turn to John chapter 11 today, but when the Bible was originally written, we would just try to find the page where the story of Lazarus was written. It would have been much harder to find John chapter 11, and you can only imagine how difficult it would be studying a Bible passage like Isaiah without chapters and verses in their divisions. Isaiah has 66 chapters. I don't know exactly how many verses. But that would be a tough book to navigate 
without chapters and verses. However, whoever put those verses and chapters in there, sometimes as I've read my Bible, I think, wow, that chapter shouldn't have really been put there. It seems like some of the epistles, it seems like those chapter divisions, uh, they don't make any sense because one sentence leads to the next sentence. You'll see this in several of the shorter Pauline epistles where sometimes you might disagree with the person who added those chapter and verse divisions or even where they put a verse division. In this particular phrase or this particular verse, the shortest verse in the Bible, I'm in agreement with it in verse number 35 where it just says, Jesus wept. There's a lot to men or our Lord weeping. There, the Bible is full of stories of people who wept. In the Old Testament, the father of the Jews in Genesis chapter 12 was named Abraham. He was the father of many nations. His beloved wife was named Sarah. The Bible says that when Sarah died, Abraham separated a time of mourning for her and he needed to bury his dead out of his sight. He bought a cave there, and he buried Sarah there. And the Bible speaks about Abraham weeping for his wife Sarah. Why did he weep? Because there was no more earthly conversations with her. In Genesis chapter number 42, we find the story of how Joseph had been thrown into a pit. And even prior to Joseph falling into a pit, we found that Jacob was lied to by his sons. You know, there was sin in Jacob's family. They hated Joseph and his coat, and they stripped him of that coat and threw him into a pit. Yesterday we were out here for the Bible handout, and I'm not sure how many of you recognize, we have construction barrels outside. They, uh, they dug about a 15-foot hole over here by the mission's house, and so I went over to the children and I said, okay, who wants to play Joseph, and who wants to play his brothers? And they say, well, what's involved in it? I said, well, I'm going to strip your shirt off from you. I'm going to throw you into a 15-foot pit, and we're not going to call you out until some people come by to buy you, and we'll sell you as a slave. None of the children volunteered, so we didn't do it. Plus, the parents weren't too excited about stripping their children of their shirts and throwing them inside the pit. Now, see, I like Don. Don Curtis laughs at my terrible jokes. Now some of the other, some of the other, now listen, I come from a church where people laugh at inopportune times. You know, this just came to my mind, God rest her soul. There was a lady that I went to church with who had a stroke many years ago. Her name was Pat Pagasic. And she would catch the pastor's jokes about at the same time, but her delayed reaction in her mind was so funny where the pastor would tell a joke and about 10 seconds later, you'd hear Pat going, ha! And so uh, it almost sounded like Don Curtis's laugh, but um, some of you might. And listen, if you laugh more, I'll preach shorter. Or if you say amen, you, you, you might beat the other churches to the restaurants today. But in any event, Joseph's brothers were sinners. They hated him. They took him, stripped him of his coat, threw him into a pit, and then sold him as a slave. They took his coat to his dad, dipped it in an animal's blood, and said, is this your sons? He must have been devoured. They gave him the illusion that Joseph was devoured by a wild beast. The Bible says that, he, that Jacob told his sons that he would go to his grave mourning. And the Bible says that his father wept for him. 
When he thought that his son was dead, they wept. Several times in Joseph's story, when he becomes reacquainted with his brothers years later, and he's listening to his brothers speak, and they didn't know that he was listening to them and he could understand them. He had to resort himself to a private area where he would go and weep. The Bible is full of stories about people that wept. David wept over his friend Jonathan after Jonathan was killed on Mount Gilboa in the book of 1 Samuel. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet in the Scripture. Could I ask a question there here today? Is there a man or a woman here today who's never lifted up their voice and wept? Jesus identifies with you if you've ever gone through a moment of weeping. You know, crying sometimes releases some kind of things in our emotions and a physiological reaction takes place in our body. Sometimes when you get a good cry out, you just get it out. Sometimes people have tears. Broken relationships produce tears. Many things in our lives produces weeping, especially death, just like in this story. If you consider how Jesus wept, first of all, He wept because He was truly a man. The Scripture says that Jesus was tempted in all points like we are, yet He's without sin. You know, if you come to church and you start listening to sermons about Jesus Christ, you should never think that Christ is so removed from you and your situation so as He's not so acquainted with you where He doesn't know how you feel. I remember being in a church one time and listening to a song that said, If it matters to you, it matters to the Master. The things that are most important in our hearts, Jesus knows those things. And we can take our burdens to the Lord and we can leave them there. Listen, Christ wants to hear us pray, but Christ has already went through this old world. He's already been rejected of this world. He's gone through these things. And when you go through similar situations, you can know that Christ was a man like you and can identify with you. You know, some of us can take great solace in the fact that somebody else has gone through something we've gone through. When I grew up, my, my best friend from high school had uh, parents that went through a divorce when he was 13 and going through cancer. And I listened many years uh, and, and the difficult, difficult situations that he went through as every year of his high school career, he was moving from house to house and school to school and just seemed like there was no continuity to his life. And I didn't have an understanding of that. Then later in my life, I went through a similar situation with my own immediate family. And when we began to talk about that, especially when I talked about what the emotional ramifications in my own life when I went through something very similar... I was able to identify a whole lot more with people who had been through that particular situation. You know, sometimes when people weep, it's an expression of great love and emotion. By the way, there's not just weeping. Sometimes when I'm in church, I'll, I'll be crying tears of joy. <laughs> My son Jacob's here today, and sometimes we've been in church together where I have been weeping tears of joy. And Jacob wants to confirm with me that my tears are, are, are these tears of joy. <laughs> Otherwise, he's going to weep with those who weep. Uh, the, the scripture here talks about Jesus weeping. He was a man who was still stirred with human emotions. Every emotion that, that comes across us as people, Jesus himself can identify with that. Even though Christ was sinless, even, even though he had, never, he had never sinned, there was no kind of corruption inside of Christ still as a human being, 
He was someone who experienced what it was like to weep. There may be somebody here today who maybe you were raised by somebody in the World War II generation who tried to hide their tears. You know, we lived in a generation where it was thought that it was less than manly to be someone who cried. Now, there may be situations where you shouldn't cry. Because the Bible even says that in the book of Ecclesiastes, that there's a time to, to weep, there's a time to laugh, there's a time to embrace, there's a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time for everything. But sometimes, people believe that it's a show of weakness to cry. I would like to say, was there ever a stronger man than Jesus Christ? And yet Jesus, the Bible said, took time to weep. It wasn't just over the unbelief. It was because of the, the fact that death and the separation that sin had produced, that Jesus was seeing the real effects in people that He loved, that He wept because of His love for humankind. Jesus wasn't ashamed of human weakness, if it will. He could have repressed his tears as the one preacher said many men do so this do this uh, habitually many people who've been in great sorrow try to withhold that expression and sometimes the deep hurt that comes to mankind prevents us from even responding have you ever been hurt so deeply that tears couldn't even fall or have you ever cried so much that you couldn't cry another tear One of the things we know about the Lord Jesus Christ was that He became poor for us. The Scripture says this, Foxes have holes and birds, have, birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay His head. The Bible also says that though He was rich, yet He became poor for our sakes. Jesus condescended to us. He lived as the poorest of men. He was born in a stable around, around animals. He wasn't born in a, in a Ritz-Carlton, though He could have been. Jesus could have been born in the richest of homes, but He wasn't. He was born to a family that couldn't even provide for themselves a lamb. They offered turtle doves. Only the poor people would offer turtle doves. That's why we know that. And by the way, Jesus didn't have anything except for what was given to Him in His youth. How did Joseph and Mary end up to Egypt and and be able to provide for themselves while, while they were there? Because when He was a toddler, three wise men came from the east and offered Him gold and frankincense and myrrh. This is what was used by Joseph to hide Jesus from being killed by wicked men who were in political power. Jesus wept. This revealed his love towards Lazarus so that others saw it and cried. Jesus really loved him. You know, the more you, the more you grieve, many times the more you love. Many times we say this at funerals. When someone uh, is crying at a funeral, it's fitting. It's fitting to grieve. You're supposed to grieve. If your mother dies or your father dies or somebody very close to you dies, weeping is fitting. Many times when people hide those things, they're repressing those things that God has designed to be a soothing to our souls. Jesus wept, though He was about to work a wonderful miracle. It is an amazing thing to me to, to think about when Jesus was weeping, He was about to call Lazarus from the grave. So why exactly is He weeping? Was He weeping as a show of pretense to other people? Was He weeping to show us or be an example to us that it's okay to cry? 
Was he weeping because he actually experienced these human emotions that people would experience when someone who, who loved dies? I think all of the above are true. Our Lord, our Lord raised some people from the dead in this life. The Bible says that he had victory over death, the hell, and the grave. And when it comes to this subject of weeping, when we can look at Jesus weeping, I think there's some lessons that we can learn in this. Before he began to pray to his Father which was in heaven, he began to weep. When's the last time that you spent time in prayer and tears touched the altar or the chair in front of you? I remember I knew a man growing up, and I won't call his name, but I believe he prayed over a bear rug. And his family gave testimony how that the place where he prayed for his children was tear-stained. Jesus wept before He prayed to His Father. Maybe if we would get more attention of our Lord in prayer, of our God in prayer, we could bring our tears with us. We need to allow our emotions to be moved to tears. One of the things that most moved me, I was watching a, um, a man who was about to die give a speech. You might have heard his name before. His name was Jim Valvano. They say Jimmy V, they still raised thousands of dollars for cancer research because of this man. But he came down with a terminal cancer and they allowed him to give a speech at the end of his life. And basically the punchline of his speech was, don't give up, don't ever give up. In just a few days he would give up the ghost, Jim Valvano would. And one of the things that he said, he said one of the things you should do every day was allow your emotions to be moved to tears. One thing that was missing from his speech was any mention about the Lord Jesus Christ, salvation, and having sins forgiven. I could tell you this, if you hear me preach or speak during my last week of this life, I'm going to tell you my testimony and how I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the biggest thing that can take place in our lives, is getting saved by the grace of God. But Jesus wept having full knowledge of several things that might have prevented his weeping. One preacher wrote, You have sometimes thought to yourself when weeping at the grave of a child or a wife or a husband that you may have been wrong in weeping. But this may not be the case. Our Savior wept, though He knew that Lazarus was safe enough. I do not know what had happened to the soul of Lazarus when he had died. Where Scripture is silent, it is not mine to speak. But wherever he was, he was perfectly safe. And yet... Jesus wept. Why is Jesus weeping? If he knew that Lazarus was safe. Do you think that Lazarus really needed to come back to this life for Lazarus? When we ask God to give our family members who had departed from this life back to us, where do we want Him to take them from? A perfect place of bliss and rest? When we leave this life, we go to a place that's fairer than day. As the songwriter sung, there's a land that is fairer than day. And by faith, we can see it afar. For the Father waits over the way to prepare us a, a better place there. And then they sang that song, In the Sweet By and By, We shall meet on that beautiful shore. Why would we want a loved one who's gone to a place where tears have been wiped away, no suffering, no pain, no sorrow, no disease, no death, why would we want them back here? 
Trust me, when we die, we're not going to be regretting the fact that we died. However, in Lazarus' case, Jesus, sorry Lazarus, you're coming on back. Why was Jesus weeping if he knew that Lazarus was safe? Another preacher wrote, moreover, Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus to life because he knew the end from the beginning. His resurrection was close at hand. And yet, Jesus wept. Sometimes we are told that if we really believed that our friends would rise again and they are safe and happy even now, we could not weep. You ever heard somebody say that? Don't cry at a funeral. Nothing to cry of at a funeral. Well, what do you do with Jesus who's weeping? What about the example of Christ? Jesus cried. Jesus wept. There cannot be any error in following where Jesus leads the way. Jesus knew that the death of Lazarus was for the glory of God. In fact, he said earlier in this passage that the sickness was not unto death, but for the glory of God. Could I say today, friend, that if you have something that's so heavy on your mind that is causing you to weep, Jesus knows exactly who you are, and He knows exactly how you feel. And when you come to the Lord, when you come to the Lord and lay your burdens at His feet, it's the best place that you can bring your burdens. Jesus Christ knows how you feel. Years ago, my parents introduced me to a song when we were singing in a nursing home called Take Your Burden to the Lord and Leave It There. One of the verses of the song says, When your body suffers pain and your health you can't regain and your soul is almost sinking in despair, He will never leave you then. He'll go with you to the end. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Another verse of that song says, When your youthful days are gone and old age is stealing on and your body bends beneath the weight of care, Jesus knows the pain you feel. He can save. He can heal. Take your burden to the Lord and leave it there. Now for the last few moments before we stand and have an invitation here today, one of the things that produced weeping in my life was my own sinful condition. I was a sinful man. Not only was I a sinful man, but I knew that an innocent man died in my stead. He died as a substitute. Jesus, the Bible said, took upon him the form of a servant. When in the Garden of Gethsemane, he began to sweat, as it were, great sweat drops of blood. It was because my dirty sin was being laid on the back of Christ. And I saw that innocent man going to Calvary and allowing himself to be crucified for me the day that I got saved. I felt great guilt that I was a sinner and someone suffered for me. Can I encourage you today, friend, if you don't know Jesus by way of salvation, the Bible says this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save sinners. Jesus came to save you. Don't die lost. Jesus came to save you. Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I remember the day I got saved. I was weeping when I got to the altar, but I was very happy when I stood up off the altar. I've been, had the privilege of leading many people to the Lord Jesus Christ throughout my ministry. I remember when people hit the altar crying out to God, weeping because they were under such a heavy burden of sin. And when they trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, they stood up and it was just a smile that was on their face. If you have never been saved by the grace of God, 
You need to be saved before it's eternally too late. Jesus offers salvation to everyone. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus doesn't exclude people from getting saved. He says, for everyone, come unto me. And the Bible says, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. You might be undergoing another certain thing today and certain things may be causing you to weep. A broken relationship, family problems, a wayward son or daughter, a burden of your heart and you don't know how to deal with it. What I can tell you is when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, He will help you bear that burden. If you're someone here that's here today and you've got some heavy burden, I want to invite you here today just like Christ wept as an example to us. It's okay to come and bring those things to the Lord. Let's stand together with our heads bowed, our eyes closed. We prepare for this verse of invitation. Maybe God spoke to your heart about getting saved today. If He did, I'm going to pray in just a moment and I'm going to be praying for you. I want to invite you to come. Be saved before it's eternally too late. There's somebody else here today with a burden of heart or soul, something that's on your mind. Why don't you commit in your heart to pray about it, bring it before the Lord. Our Father, we pray today that you will bless the invitation as only you can. Lord, if there's someone here today who's lost and they don't know you, Father, I pray that they might have the courage to step out from where they are and to trust you today at the altar. Lord, if you're speaking to hearts today about baptism, following the Lord and joining the church, getting something right with a brother or sister in Christ, I pray, Lord, that your will might be done during this invitation. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to ask Brother John to sing this first verse all by himself. Nobody's looking around, but he sees things just as I am. Won't you come today? Won't you come today? Pastor, I'm not saved. Thank you. 
your name. If it's knocking on your heart's door, saying, be saved today, won't you come today? Let's all sing on this next verse. pretense to it. He wasn't faking. He wasn't putting on for others. It was just his example to us as men and as ladies. If you're going through something today that's caused you to weep, know this. Jesus understands your tears. The songwriter once said that tears are a language that God understands. And I pray that God would use the service in your life to let you know it's okay to cry. We're going to sing one of the verses. If nobody else comes, we're going to move along in the service. Let's sing the next verse. Just as I saints of God said. Come on up here, Sister Henrietta. This is Henrietta Hooper. She's been visiting with us for some time, and we've gotten to know her family a little bit. As you know, her daughter Queen came and walked the aisle and got saved. How many of her are thankful for Queen back there? Hi, Queen. Lord bless you. Uh, This is her mom, Henrietta Hooper. 
And uh, she comes forward today expressing the desire to join the Metropolitan Baptist Church. Uh, She received the Lord Jesus Christ at the age of 12, right, Miss Henrietta? And she was baptized at the Greater Bethlehem Baptist Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, in water by immersion after salvation. And I want to recommend her to join the Metropolitan Baptist Church by statement of faith and baptism. All in favor by the raise of hand. Any opposed by like sign. And I see none. So praise the Lord. We're going to extend to Miss Henrietta the right hand of Christian fellowship today. Now folks, all I can tell you is this. Being a part of a church family is very, very important. And so we call people brother and sister around here. Uh, Miss Henrietta has become a part of this particular church family. And uh, we're supposed to love her as a, I'm supposed to love her as a sister, and she's supposed to love me as a brother. And uh, as we go through our church endeavors and learn to serve the Lord together, God does great things inside of the local church. I'm excited that the Lord has moved upon her heart. I think we're coming up on 20 people who've joined this church since January. And I'm thankful for that. That means there's been a move of the Lord somewhere in there. And if you're a good church member, you should be thankful when the Lord's moving. You know, now if something else is moving on the other side, you know that that's not coming from the Lord. But uh, I, I hope that you're as pleased as I am that Miss Henrietta is joining the church today. And uh, we're going to be praying God's best blessings on you, sister. Your family's been a blessing to us already. I had the privilege to stay in a hotel room with her son, Cumario, and go to camp with him. And uh, he's a good athlete, and uh, I got a chance to eat some dinners with them and uh, get to know them a little bit. I just look forward to what God's going to do in their family. Aren't you? All right. Don't forget we have services tonight. Choir practice, Brother John. What time? 445. For those that are singing in the choir, some of you don't belong in the choir if you can't sing. Uh, But if you can sing and you want to join, then uh, you you just let us know about that because we could always use more harmonious voices in the choir. Um, But uh, we praise the Lord for that. And don't forget, we have 6 o'clock services tonight. We've been journeying through 1 Samuel. And tonight we're going to be going through a very, very exciting passage in the Bible regarding the anointing of David, the king, uh, his situation with Goliath and all that situation we're going to be preaching through tonight uh, in the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to go ahead and pray and be dismissed. I'm going to call on Brother Lonnie Barnes to dismiss the service and prayer, please.